Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> because love Because the writing is sort of everything, right? Like you kind of can fix plot holes, but if the yeah. writing... So some yeah. readers love that and some readers are like, but I wanted more of this. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a gamble. Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. My guest for this episode is a writer of comics, a screenwriter, a director, and a author of children's books and crime thrillers for adults. It's Barry Hutchison, also known as J.D. Kirk. Hello, Barry. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. There's, um, You've had quite a prolific career, not just within publishing, but within just very different uh, disciplines of, of writing. So let's just start with the, the what is an obvious place to start, um, your most recent publication, the 17th installment of the DCI Logan series, uh, which you put out under the pen name J.D. Kirk, In Service of Death, came out in July this year. What's How good is your elevator pitch for the series? Oh, it's terrible. Like, I, I, the one thing I'm really bad at is try, is ever selling myself in any way whatsoever. Um, and it, it's really bad when you go into any sort of meetings. I was I was doing some screenwriting meetings before, and it was like, you know, help me with your pitch. And I was like, I, uh, 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 and just sort of choked on my own voice. Um, okay. Well, tell us a bit about the series. The series is is about DCI Jack Logan, who is a uh, a detective chief inspector from Glasgow, who in the first book, A Litter of Bones, is sort of seconded to the Highlands, um, where there's a case that bears a striking similarity to one that he um, investigated 10 years previously. Uh, it was going to be a one-off. I wrote this this crime novel, um, put it out, and it started massively outselling everything else I've ever written, you know, like 100 to 1. And I wow. thought, well, I'm, I'm going to write some more of these. And so <laughs> he he has remained in the Highlands ever since. Uh, so, yeah, there's now actually eight, the 18th book actually came out in October. So your, oh. your information is now out of date. Um, oh. <laughs> they uh, called A Dead Man Walking, which is sort of a Halloween special almost. Um, it's kind of got Agatha Christie vibes to it, that one. So it's a bit different to the rest of the series. And some people love that and some people are very angry that, oh. <laughs> that it's different to the rest of the series. So, um, yeah, so, so that's, so yeah, 18 books. So I, the first one came out in 2019. So I've been, I've been, um, you know, charming. Wow. Quantity over quality. That's my motto. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, 18 of those four Bob Hoon spinoffs and one DI Heather Filson spinoff, the second of which is coming out in January. So I've written 24 of them, 24 books in that universe since um may 2019 when the first one came out do they do they cross over the the characters yeah lightly yeah you don't have to read and you know you don't have to read all the logan books to read the hoon books or or vice versa they are the characters pop up but there's nothing that sort of um spoils the plots of, of either one so um you will enjoy them more if you've read the the other series but you can enjoy them almost as much reading them as standalone 18 books in a series is amazing. I, <laughs> I'm trying to think of any others. I guess 
I guess within crime, and and this would be procedural crime as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's a, uh, not so uncommon. But do you do you see this the the DCI Logan stuff going on sort of indefinitely? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I know what the next two are at least. So I know up to book twenty, um, and we've just done um, a deal because we the the DCI Logan stuff is published through my own publishing imprint. You know, I was published by HarperCollins and Penguin Random House and various publishers for about 10, 12 years. And then as a little sort of experiment, I fell into um, self-publishing a book in 2016, and that started out selling all my traditionally published stuff. And I've been more or less, despite the protests from some of my publishers, I've been more or less just doing my own self-published stuff ever since. Um, But we've just done a deal for print rights with a a UK publisher who are doing a big hardback launch for book 20 and and all kinds of fancy stuff. Because it's the 20th book. It's also the fifth anniversary of the first book coming out. We're making a bit of a sort of... 2024 is going to be a big year for DCI Logan. Amazing. Wait, so that's four books a year you're putting out? Uh, well, more than that, because there's also the, you the know, six six other books I've written in that time as well. How long, How what's the sort of average length of these books? About 90,000 words. They're about 80,000, 90,000 words. I've that always is... written quickly. That's been because when I was writing for publishers, you know, when I was writing for, it was children's publishers I was writing for, and I'd be doing my own stuff. And they don't, they don't pay very much when you're writing for children's publishers, unless you are J.K. Rowling or David Williams or someone who, who manages to kind of hit it really big. If you're like a working children's publisher or children's author, I should say, you don't get paid that that much. So I would always be looking for work because I knew I could pay my bills the following month, but I never knew I could pay my bills two months down the line. And that continued for like 10 years. So I'd always be looking for new work. So publishers would come to me knowing that I would produce you know, decent books um, in uh, to a short deadline. So they might come and say, right, we've got this book, the Ben 10 cartoon series, for example. They said, we want to adapt these into books and we need like 10 books written for three months from now. And I would go, okay, I'll do that. Um, but at the same time, I'd be writing a nonfiction book for a different publisher and I'd be writing my own work for a different publisher under my own name and all kinds of stuff. So I'd always be juggling stuff. I'd be working on three or four projects at the same time. Sometimes at that point, I was doing like 16-hour days writing. So this is actually kind of a slowed down, sedate pace for uh, compared to what I was used to back then. Uh, and and I'm, uh, it's, I'm doing it all myself, so I don't have you know, sales and marketing teams to try and persuade that this is a good idea or um, try and dissuade from putting a unicorn in it because they've decided that unicorns are really big that week and they want to have a <laughs> unicorn. So, yeah, so it seems quick to people, but it's not really. You know, I'm sitting down, I'm writing, you know, three, 4,000 words a day and I'm done by 12 o'clock, you know, by lunchtime. Um, and, um, and that's quite a nice, sedate, relaxed pace. Yeah, I mean, you've got a pretty good schedule going. You say you do it all by yourself and that this is sort of indie published off your own um, publishing kind of uh, yeah. company. But I'm going to guess, do you also work with um, like an independent editor and, and kind of other people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, when I started out, the reason I fell into the self-publishing was I was asked to go into a school and talk about how kids could publish their own books. 
And I had no idea how they could publish their own books. As far as I knew, you just, you know, you wrote a book and you emailed it to a publisher in London, and then sometime later a book appeared in the world. And that was my entire understanding of the publishing process. But um, they were offering to pay me money to go in and, and spend a week teaching these teenagers how to publish their own work. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll try and learn it. And I wrote a book, um, a comedy science fiction novel called Space Team um, in 2016. And I, I put that out on Kindle, designed the cover myself because I knew kids don't, you know, they can't pay a cover designer. I edited it myself because, I'm, and because kids can't pay an editor. And the point was to do it all for free. And I did that. And then I went away on holiday. And two weeks later, when I came back, it was out selling all my other books combined. And um, I thought, right, I'm going to do more of these. And I wrote 12 of those <laughs> in the following three years. Yeah, so, but now I'm kind of going back to just being an author again. That's my, my journey is going back that direction of, I was doing it all myself for a while. And now I, I employ cover designers, I employ editors, I have uh, say a PR team, we've got sales and marketing people, we've got uh, an agent selling foreign rights and film rights and, and all that stuff. So, so we're now like a fully-fledged publisher um, who at the moment just publishes my books, but starting next year, we're publishing some other authors as well. Oh, wow. So you, you are literally becoming an indie publisher. Yes. <laughs> wow, that's so exciting. I'm wondering, so obviously it was sort of a kind of experiment when you first started doing the self-publishing stuff. How did you, because the biggest thing that I know about indie publishing, the, the kind of the most daunting thing is marketing the whole thing yourself. How did you kind of go yeah. about that at the beginning? I mean, everyone always says that, but you know, with 140 books, 180 books with children's publishers, um, very few of them ever got any marketing. The and most you know, t- traditional publishing has a its marketing strategy seems to be like publish a hundred books, watch very carefully to see which ones start selling well on its own, and then chuck all the marketing money at that book and and let the rest die a death and blame it on the author. Which sounds quite bitter, but that's my that's my experience of it is that they they like to put all the money behind what already looks like a, a winning horse. So I mean, I, I was unfortunate enough to be published by HarperCollins uh, to have a book coming out the same day as David Williams, um, his children's books, and you know they rebranded all their their social media, they rebranded their website, and they had you know posters all over the UK, and he was on the one show, and he was on everything, and they didn't even tweet about my book coming out on the same day, you know, so. I was doing my own marketing anyway, as I would say 95% of authors are. They always, they always assume they're going to get some, you know, there's a market team that's going to come in and it's going to be posters everywhere. And, and it very, very rarely works out like that. So I was doing my own marketing. But, you, but when you're doing your own marketing for a traditionally published book, you have no idea what is effective. So I could go on and, and do like a, a blog tour, say. So I'm going, I'm writing blog posts for 10 different blogs and every day a new post is going up and there's a review and all that stuff. And and I don't know if that's doing anything because I have to wait six months until I get a royalty statement. And that royalty statement only tells me how many books were sold during that six-month period. It doesn't tell me any more granular detail than that. Now, when I'm doing it myself, if I did a blog tour, say, I could literally look at my sales dashboard and say, okay, that blog went up and I sold 30 books in the, you know, two hours following it. So I can see a direct correlation between things I'm doing as marketing and results I'm getting. So it's much easier to market when you're indie published because you can actually see the results straight away rather than have to just either not see them or try and guess how effective something is. Yeah. So so 
you have more control over the fact that it's like you kind of say okay i did like three blogs or three podcasts and i can see an uptick on one of them and like a downtick on that maybe i'll yeah. maybe i'll slow down on that and do more on that absolutely that's it yeah i could go on i mean that's why i know that you know twitter doesn't sell books i've i've yeah. tried many many things on twitter and literally can watch nothing happening on my sales dashboard as a result so i know that twitter doesn't sell books now if i didn't have that you know direct information i might be on twitter all day every day thinking this might be why i'm selling some books if i'm looking at just the you know the traditional published royalty statement after six months of okay i sold you know three thousand books in that six months maybe twitter sold all those books so i better keep tweeting all the time whereas that's not the truth i can see the immediate results that's not the case i'm not going to tweet very much so it's 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 much easier to market. You, you're going to be doing it your own marketing, whether you're traditionally published or whether you're self-published. Yeah, most authors true. are certainly. So you might as well have all the information to hand. Now, would you ask for your question? What I did at the start, I did nothing whatsoever at the start. I didn't I didn't market anything until the third book was out, um, because I I knew that if I was to spend any money, it's very difficult to make money back on one book. You know, you're selling a book at two ninety nine on Kindle you haven't got much sort of leeway in that. You're making 70%, so you're making £2.10. pence. So if, you, if your marketing costs more than £2.10 pence a copy, you're losing money. But if you have three books in a series and someone buys book one, there's a chance they'll buy book two and book three as well. So now you've potentially got for that, you know, if you spend £2.11 pence marketing that book, you've potentially got £9 worth of sales because you've got those other two books in the series as well. So but I, I didn't advertise at all until the third book was out. And then I started dabbling with Facebook. And then, but I still don't, I mean, I spend very little on advertising. My main thing has been building a community around the books, which is which is kind of um, mailing list, newsletter. I give away a lot of weird, random things. I never write, I've never written like a, a kind of a new book to give away or a short story necessarily. Um, I've done a couple of short stories for the Space Team stuff, but for, for the, the J.D. Kirk crime fiction, I give away like um, a photo gallery of locations and um, there's a character gets married in one of the books and one of the subplots is another character trying to write their wedding speech. And at the end of that book, if you join my mailing list, you get the wedding speech, kind of handwritten with notes and all that stuff that I did. And it, huh. it took me took me a you know, couple hours to do. But that has brought me in ten thousand subscribers, you know, to my to my mailing list. And then it's just about kind of making them feel part of it all. Like I, I love writing to my to my mailing list newsletter because I, it's just a like an opportunity to sort of vent about weird things that have happened in my life, or and it's just a chatty informal thing. And I know when I put out a newsletter, I'll get five hundred emails back that day from people who just want to chat, um, and I will I will reply to as many of them as I can and direct them to like the Facebook group and the Facebook page where it's much easier to sort of have a, a conversation. And so for me, it's been about <clears throat> growing a community rather than selling. I hate, I hate selling myself particularly, but yeah. I used to do, uh, I used to do a lot of school events and, and talk in schools and the publishers were like, right. Yeah. So you need to go in there and, and really push the books. The books are for sale. And I just couldn't do that. You know, I couldn't. So I would just sort of go and do this like stand up comedy routine for kids and then occasionally like glance over at the books that were for sale in the hope they might take the hint. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And it's, it's, it sounds like kind of coming up with those innovative things. That's actually like the, having the wedding speech with notes and things like that. that's actually kind of like, that's fun for you. And it's yeah, fun yeah, for absolutely. Well, I mean, as well. like authors certainly should be creative people. 
Yeah. And and so a lot of the stuff I've done, you know, there's a a, a character who's who's not very well liked in the series. He's a, a sort of seen a crime officer, and he's deliberately a horrible character, but he thinks he's very funny. And I wrote this little scene where he attempts stand-up comedy. There's an open spot at a stand-up comedy night, and that dies a death on stage. And it's only, you know, fifteen hundred words, but it was great fun to write. And the, the the my newsletter subscribers, my VIP club, as I call them, uh, loved it. You know, it was the and so things like that, which are you can't really do necessarily with traditional publishing. You know, you know, I, if I went to my one of my publishers, HarperCollins or whatever, and said, right, I want to do this random scene that we're going to just give away, it would have to go through so many layers of you know editor and sales and marketing team, and it would go to different meetings and all that. So it slows everything down, and you just don't bother doing it. So being able to do it yourself, I can just go, right, I'm going to do this. So, for example, the next thing I'm giving away to my um, mailing list, there's a, a character in my series called Bob Hoon. I know he has his own spin-off series, um, and he has a sister called Roberta. So in Scotland, uh, there is a, every, well, every two years, there's this alternating kind of DC Thompson produced this comic book. And one's called Urwulli, which you might have heard of, and one's called The Bruins. And The Bruins is this sort of Scottish family in this black and white um, strip. And the stories are broadly similar, and there's a misunderstanding of some kind, and it has a funny ending. Um, and I thought it would be fun to do The Hoons and do like a comic strip page that is in the style of The Bruins, but featuring Bob Hoon and his sister Berta. Uh, and so that. I went. I looked for an artist to find that, and I actually found an artist who drew the Bruins for sixteen years. So he's now drawing that. I've written the script. So it took me oh, ten cool. minutes. Took me ten minutes to write the script because I used to write for the Beano and, and various other comics. So yeah. um, it took me ten minutes to write the script. I sent it to him. I'm paying him not very much money to do the artwork, and it'll be a fun thing to give away in the run up to Christmas to my to my readers. And it was a fun thing to write. Just a new way of kind of exploring those characters that's so it's not something i thought about before because whilst you were saying it like oh you can give away these tidbits these kind of notes and scraps and things like that i'm just thinking like yeah that's so applicable to so many different um stories and like i read a lot of fantasy and with a lot of fantasy authors what they'll do is they'll have their the kind of the main books and then they'll they'll write novellas which will be a sort of backstory of a side character which they're obviously interested in yeah but they have to go through their publisher and like that has to be an official thing and it has to be a certain length to be a novella it can't just be like a like a like a 2000 word kind of like fun anecdote whereas with what you're doing it could just be that absolutely yeah and i think i think um readers enjoy that more almost because it is like a a fun little thing that they're part of you know it's not available anywhere else it's only available to to those guys yeah um and it just makes them feel gives them more of a sense of ownership of the characters and the series because they're seeing these little behind the scenes things. Um, so yeah. And, and, and I love it. It keeps me entertained as well. Cause you know, yeah, I was gonna like, say. I'd love to do that. Yeah. It's just fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> do, you think you, do you think you'll ever go back 
because uh, am I right in thinking you've kind of just you're only doing sort of adult fiction now you're not doing any children's stuff yeah not doing any children's stuff although I did after after many years of trying I did get the rights back to cut my children's books from HarperCollins which we will we'll publish ourselves um but yeah I don't I, I never really see myself going back to to um certainly children's publishing uh, I don't see myself going back to one of the old school traditional publishers I have had offers for the you know the DCI Logan stuff and um and it, it's been so creatively fulfilling to do it myself yeah. and financially rewarding compared to what I was being paid as a traditionally published author that I can't ever, I can never justify doing it. I am um, working with, uh, kind of partnering up with Bookature, who are like a digital first publisher, yeah, uh, yeah. on two books which are not part of the DCI Logan series. Um, it was, or not, not in that universe. I, uh, I had this idea for these these sort of two connected books, and I just wasn't quite sure what to do with them. And um, Bookature came along and said, "Well, we could kind of team up and do them." Uh, so doing that, but I could, I could never say, see myself just going back to being author writing for publisher again. Yeah, and Bookature is quite a different thing. I've had a number of uh, Bookature authors on. Um, and it, it's a very different, it, yeah, it's yeah. not traditional publishing. Not at all, no. They really have the, the, it's kind of indie mindset. It's basically what we're doing with with um, our publishing company next year is is, is that sort of um, indie author mindset to publish yeah. other authors. And um, yeah, so it should be fun to, to team up with them. They are, they have a very good team. One of the reasons I did it is that they, they do massive business in the US and most of my sales are UK. I'd say it's 70% of my sales are UK. So part of it was just business strategy of going, well, how can I how can I most effectively expand sales into the US um, okay. without without doing all the work myself? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so and this came along at just the right time. Okay, perfect. And I think that that's what I, I love about the indie publishing thing is it gives you the freedom to do that. You know, I can go, well, I'm going to team up with them for this, or I'm going to, you know, I, I, myself and a couple of other authors are, are putting together like a joint sort of Patreon thing where we share behind the scenes things going on. And, and it, it just gives you the freedom to, to kind of take control of, of not just your writing, but your, your business side of it as well. Yeah. And you can really be creative beyond the 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 writing itself doing yeah, like yeah. you can be creative with your marketing and things like that and just Absolutely, that's it. And I think, you know, nobody cares about your book as much as you do. It it be, would be that thing that you would send it to a publisher and the pub invariably because I say I wrote 180 odd books for publishers and um they would always say right, the deadline is this date. It needs to be done on this date. And I would, you know, I'd sometimes work through the night to get the book to them that date and I would send it in and I'd always get and out of office saying, I'm back in the office in 10 days. Yeah. And it's like, well, why have I like almost killed myself trying to get this book done? And you're you're off on holiday. So when I'm doing it myself, it, it, I have complete control for better or worse. You know, you have to take, if, if it does go terribly wrong, if I write a book that, that completely dies, then it's my doing. It's no one else's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. I'd love to talk about, you, you also do, um, amongst all of this, you also have done quite a lot of screenwriting. Yes. Um, I saw that you did a comedy back in 2013 um, starring Phil Jupitus and you've, you've written a few things since then. Yeah. How did you, how did you, have you always been screenwriting or is that something that you got into sort of after you'd been published with Harper with your, those initial books? No, I, I actually started off as a screenwriter. I sold, well, I had my first screenplay optioned when I was 17. Um, oh, wow. 
I, I wrote this screenplay called Curse of the Bog Women, and it was a comedy horror set in the Highlands. And uh, 17, no idea what to do with it. It was all formatted wrong. But I, um, Francis Ford Coppola had a website called Zoetrope, zoetrope.com, which was kind of an extension of his um, production company. And it was for screenwriters to post their scripts and then other writers could go on and, and review them. And, and then they would get, if they reviewed three, then their script would be eligible to be reviewed by other author, other screenwriters. And kind of put a script on there. One of the people that was kind of assigned it to read was an American independent producer in New York. And he got in touch and said, um, I'd like to produce this. And I went, all right. <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, it, he optioned it. And at that point, it seemed, you know, 17-year-old living in the Highlands, um, still in school, um, optioned it for what seemed at the time like I'd have seen amount of money. But, you know, now it's, in, as a grown-up, it's not. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. that much. But yeah. at the time, it was like, my God, and it was getting paid in dollars, which felt like so exotic as well. I had to go to my little... <laughs> High Street Bank of the Highlands with a check for like ten thousand dollars and say, um, "What do I do with this?" <laughs> and they were like, "Well, we don't really know." <laughs> and then at that point, I put it in, and it was like it's going to take seven weeks to clear. I'm just like, "This is oh, man. Um But so that that kind of option went on for a few years. Um, when I was about nineteen, twenty thereabouts, I um, another pub, another um, what do you call it production company in um, based in Newcastle had read the script somehow um, and said, we really like your writing. We don't really do horror. Do you have like a like a thriller available? Have you done a thriller? And I went, oh, yeah, I've done done that. Um, I'll get it to you. I'm just going to polish it up over the next couple of days and I'll send it to you at the end of the week. And I had absolutely no, I didn't have a script. <laughs> I didn't even have an idea for a script. But I sat down and over three days I wrote a black comedy thriller set in Glasgow called Making a Killing and that um, that company optioned that as well at that point. Both companies subsequently went bankrupt, and the films <laughs> the films never happened. But the thought was there, you know, so that was nice. Um, yeah. So I've always been, I've always, you know, I've been interested in writing scripts, kind of first and foremost, really. But it's and the reason I got into books is is I, I had all these ideas for things, but it's like I know how you know convincing someone to spend thirty million pounds on producing a a, a film is not easy. Whereas, you know, convincing a publisher to spend a few thousand pounds publishing a book is easier. Yeah. So um, so I thought I'll try writing books and um, that's what kind of took off. But I've always been in the background kind of writing uh, screenplay stuff and the, the comedy series you're talking about, Bottom Knocker Street, it's a children's comedy series. Absolutely bizarre how it came about. I'd um, There was a, a kid's show for kind of preschool kids called the bops and it was um keith bop and stan bop um and stan was stan cullymore from the house martins and um and they just uh dressed up a bit weird and sang some songs and um it was like it's little short 10 minute things between between programs right. and my daughter at the time she was um but two or three thereabouts and was obsessed with it like loved it every time they come on she was glued to it and I had, so I was subjected to it all the time. And I tweeted saying, there's something a bit disturbing about the bops, especially Keith. And uh, Keith Bop replied to me on Twitter and said, you're absolutely right. And I and I felt really bad because I thought, oh no, I've just like, I've, I've realized that he's a real person. <laughs> you know, he's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of replied to him, my daughter loves you and blah, blah, blah. And we got chatting and um, he had a 13 year old son and I ended up sending him a pile of books for his son. 
And then Keith and Stan, they made a little video for my daughter and, and sang a song and put her name in it and all that stuff. And it was all lovely. And then he mentioned that he was producing this show, Bottom Knocker Street with Phil Jupitus. It was kind of a, a, a kid's comedy, a bit sort of Beano sensibilities and, and said, if you want to try out for writing an episode, you know, you can you can do a sample script. Oh, wow. So I went, all right. Um, and I, I wrote a sample script. And then I ended up writing 32 episodes, I think, of the 52-part series. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so that worked out quite nicely. And I went down and, and was, you know, meet with Phil and I was there when they were filming and, and all that stuff. And, um, but it was an inter- you know it was an eye-opening thing because I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd kind of thought, yeah, I can write a couple of these. And then it was like, right, we need we need 30 of them. Well, I think it was 15, 15 initially. And then I was like, all right, oof, okay. And then they just said, just keep going, just keep going. And I ended up doing 32 of them. Um, but, yeah, it all just came from me kind of, Going on and, and slagging him off on Twitter. <laughs> so, <laughs> Those were the I might, days. Yeah. I might go and say some uncomplimentary things about Tom Cruise next and see if I can land the next Mission Impossible. <laughs> That's how it's done. Are you thinking about, or have you written any kind of screenplay adaptations for any of the JD Kirk stuff? Uh, no, we're in, we're in conversations about it with some production companies and things. And oh. um, I've, I've, I'm not sure if I would do it myself or not. Right. I think there's a. There's sort of a plausible deniability if it, if it's terrible, if I haven't written the scripts. <laughs> you know, if I can go, ah, well, the books are great, but the scripts, ah, the TV show was terrible because, you know, the, the writer just didn't get it. Yeah. And then I can, so I can still sort of, you know, I can deflect the criticism that way. <laughs> but if, <laughs> if I, you know, and if it's great, I can say, well, it's the books. <laughs> you know, it's the, it was the underlying material that was why it's so good. Um, but if it's terrible and I've written it, then there's nowhere to hide really from that, you know. Yeah, um, true. So, I, you know, I think I'd be, the, the conversations we're having kind of sees me in more of an executive producer role. So still quite hands-on in terms of, of, of guiding it, but not actually writing all the scripts. Yeah, I, I do think also with those adaptations, a lot of the time, the even if, even if like you are someone that writes screenplays as the author, you're often like sort of too close to it in a different yeah. medium yeah, to yeah, translate Yeah, very much it. so. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, though we're actually... Um, I've been contracted to write three screenplays for something else, which I can't reveal yet, but um, it's not it's not something I ever saw myself doing. I will, <laughs> I will say that. Um, but yeah, most of my career, really, I've just lucked into it. You know, I, I um, wrote the Beano for um, a few years. Not all of it, but I wrote, I wrote you know, the strips for the Beano comic um, for a few years, which was like a childhood dream. And the way I got that was I, I basically emailed the Beano and said, can I write for the Beano? And they said, no. <laughs> and then I, I kind of, I said, like, go on. And they went, well, you can try writing a sample script for, you know, one of the characters. So I did that. And then they says, right, we're going to use this and we'll pay you for this. And then do you want to keep doing this character? And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so um, did that. And then randomly, and this connects to the TV writing bit as well, randomly um, there was a, a kids cartoon series called Adventure Time which my son loved and I loved and I wrote the A to Z guide to Adventure Time for I don't know what publisher it was but for some publisher I wrote that and there was a, an, an Adventure Time comic and I went into a shop and I, I I was too tight to even buy the comic but I, look, I opened the comic and found the editor's details and I emailed the editor and said I'd like to write for this comic um, and he said yeah okay and um I 
I wrote a bit, but then the comic got cancelled before my stuff was published, oh. which was which was heartbreaking. But then the same editor says, "Right, we've got we're we're doing this uh, six issue miniseries called Supermansion, which is based on the American animated TV series of the same name. Are you aware of it?" And I I just went onto like YouTube and immediately Google you know searched for Supermansion and found as much as I could and then replied and says, "Oh yeah, I'm a, you know I'm a big fan. <laughs> I, know it, I know it well." Uh, so they said, "Right, okay, you can do this this comic." So I wrote this this um, six issue comic miniseries thing and then but the the producers of the show had final approval so brian cranston from breaking bad was one of the producers and um zeb wells the creator who's is like a, a massive uh, marvel uh, writer and does all kinds of stuff the spider-man and all sorts of things and he was sort of the creator so he read the comics and says do you want to write for the show and i went yeah right <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically i've just lucked into everything over the years wow Wow, what an incredible, um, what an incredible journey! Yeah, but um, you also, I will I, say, sorry, I will say that um, Adventure Time comic got axed um, just before I, my stuff was on, and um, Supermansion got axed just after my stuff was on. <laughs> so, <laughs> and those okay. two companies went bankrupt after buying my script. So I, I'm not saying I'm a jinx necessarily, but um, yeah. there may be some evidence that points that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would say, you know you do need to get lucky with a lot of these things, especially in these kinds of industries, but you also, you know, you create opportunities to be lucky. You know, the more you put yourself out there, the more opportunity there is for you to. That's absolutely. Yeah. 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 It is. Um, it is about putting yourself out there. And I think that's it. You know, I, I spent years, um, uh, so between the ages of about 21 and 30, I wrote a load of stuff. I'd never did anything with it. Like I didn't send it anywhere. Yeah. Um, and the first thing I sent anywhere was, uh, um, there was a, a competition being run by an Edinburgh-based literary agent. And the competition was, you sent in your manuscript, they would read the first like 10 pages. And if you were one of 10 winners, they would read the whole book and they would give you detailed feedback on how to improve the book so that it had a better chance of being picked up or you okay, know, yeah. getting representation or whatever. So I said, I'd written this um, children's horror book and I thought, I'll send it to them for this competition and I'll see what happens. And after about a month, they phoned me up and said, would like to take you out of the competition. And I thought that meant that they hated it that much. <laughs> that they were actually, <laughs> they were actually contacting me personally to say you're out. But they said, would like to, would like to represent this. Do oh, you have wow. an agent? And I says, no. And they said, well, do you want us to represent it? And I went, yeah, go on then. And then they took it to HarperCollins and HarperCollins came back and said, can you write six books? And I went, Yep. And they said, right, can you give us the outline for the next five by two o'clock this afternoon? Because we have an acquisition meeting about it. And I thought this was all just normal. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And so I sat down and wrote, you know, an outline, quite a short outline, you know, like in a two, three paragraphs for five books, which hadn't existed that morning. Yeah. Um, and then they came back and said, yeah, we'll take all six. So I've stayed easy. Wow. You know? <laughs> uh, but I will say, because that makes it sound like it is, but after that, you know, I had far more rejection after that because I come up with loads of ideas going like, I, I want to do that. And they would go, no, that's not going to sell. No one's going to buy that. That's terrible. Um, uh, so I had more rejection after the fact of having having that book picked up. But And I will, and I will also say that I, I spent that 10-year gap, that sort of 21 to 30, writing all the time. You know, I, I, was, I was constantly writing stuff. I was writing novels. I was writing scripts. I was writing short stories. So I was, I was always practicing. Um, yeah, and that was the first thing that I felt that seeing that competition coincided with the first thing that I 
felt critically stood up to being looked at by someone who wasn't an immediate family member. <laughs> well, that's amazing. What, what an awesome, what an awesome journey and career you've had, uh, you've had so far. And that brings us to uh, the, the, what is the, the end of the episode, the final question of the episode, uh, which as always is, Barry, if you were stranded on a desert island uh, with a single book, which book would you want it to be? Oh, it's such a difficult question. Um, I think I'm going to go back and I'm going to say it would be um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, great choice. Um, uh, which was one of the first adult books I read. And I use air quotes around that. Yeah, it's very, adult very in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it just transfer. I would say it was the first book that turned me into like a, a fanatic reader. Um, <laughs> and prior to that, I'd read lots of comics and I did read, you know, well, my libra- librarian got me into reading more books than comics, but I, I was a big comic book reader and then read, read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I would say that book probably changed the trajectory of my life in that I, I became just, I, I was never seen without a book in my hand after that, I don't think. Yeah. Or a towel, I hope. Yes, or a towel. Yeah, yeah. Also <laughs> one of those close to hand. Um, amazing. One of my favorite books of, of, of all time, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Such a great, a great choice, I would say. Well, thank you so much, Barry, for coming on the podcast and sharing all of your um, amazing adventures and stories and everything that you're up to, everything that's like going to happen with with you becoming uh, kind of an indie publisher. That's very, very cool. I'm very excited to see thank how you. that turns out. It's been awesome chatting with you. Thank you very much. Nice to speak to you. And for anyone wanting to keep up with what Barry is doing, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at jdkirkbooks, uh, or you can find his website www.jdkirk.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. You can support the show on Patreon, and for more bookish chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Barry, and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.